I'm casting all my cares on you. Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh my. What a message we have received. Full restoration. Not partly. We're not a reformer church. We're a restored church. A restored people back to the original faith that was once delivered to the saints. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, don't you love the Lord? He's so wonderful. Amen, amen. We certainly are so happy to be in his house again this morning and happy to be a Christian. It's good to see everyone that could be here with us. And God bless you, each one that could make it. Just looking over and seeing so many, I've noticed there's another one in a million that's joined us. God bless you today. <laughs> a million family, we sure appreciate you guys. And they've had another little baby girl, and God bless you. Amen. Amen. It's always wonderful. So, Andrew, they got so many. Yeah, they're blessed. Blessed is the man who has his quiver full. Some of us just got smaller quivers. Some of us got bigger quivers. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. 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 I just want to say before we go to the Word, there'll be no service on Wednesday, just a reminder. And uh, there'll be service on Thursday and Friday and then Saturday. Uh, there'll be a youth service at 1.30 p.m. 
here at the church uh, for all the youth and uh, also after the, the, the youth service we'll have, Lord willing, some fellowship and some refreshment and food um, in what used to be the Dre's rest residence in the backyard there. So bring your lawn chair so that way you can be comfortable. Uh, you see there is chairs here but there'll be a lot of visitors that didn't bring a lawn chair so you bring yours. And uh, so we'll, we'll have a wonderful time. Then we don't have to rush to a restaurant and back and things. We can just do it that way. And uh, I just want to say, be prepared to come early to all the meetings. Uh, amen. amen. That means so be it. <clears throat> I'll be there early. Let's come early and come expecting. Amen. You want to get a good spot? Come early. You want to sit in the downstairs? Come late. <laughs> no problem. If you do come early, though, we ask that the regulars, maybe if you just leave some room in the parking lot for some of the visitors that have come from out of town and things, just to allow them to come. You know, if you be a blessing in that way, God will bless and pour out a blessing back upon you. And so let's just try not to come an hour early so we can get a parking spot and then stand out there and fellowship. Let's come early and come to the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Don't you love the Lord? Yeah. Amen. Let's, let's take our Bibles together. Thank you, musicians. I won't prolong it anymore. Um, turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Brother Ed is, is away this morning. He's over in uh, Grinthal, Saskatchewan ministering for Brother Kelly Hildebrandt's assembly there and certainly appreciate the unity in the body of Christ so we can go and minister. I want to remember him in prayer also. Brother Max will be ministering tonight. And so I want to just continue to uphold the ministry and one another before the Lord. Amen. Maybe let's bow our heads together before we read the word. And if you've got something on your heart this morning that you just want to say, Lord, remember me. You want to raise your hand, not to me, but to the Lord, and say, I'm waiting for you, Lord. And Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we sure love you, Lord. And Lord, even my own hand is raised, Lord, that, Father, we just come not to see one another this morning or ever in your house, Lord, to come for fellowship, but, Lord, to fellowship with you. Lord Jesus, we ask that you just come by our way as we wait on you. Lord, we know you're here, Lord, as we sing, and you inhabit the praises of our lips. But, Lord, we ask that you come and reveal yourself in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, and become a realization, Lord Jesus, of liberty unto us, Lord. And Father, we just ask, Lord, that you just be in our midst, Lord. Go from heart to heart, pew to pew, Lord, and help me to get myself aside, just nervous, Lord, but Father... You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Lord, we just put our faith in you and ask you to come and speak. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. The book of Romans, chapter 8, and verse 16. would say, And the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. We are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, 
that we may be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Oh, hallelujah. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Amen. This isn't liberty that belongs to everybody. It's for the children of God. It's specifically for you. And it says, and it goes on, it says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together in pain together until now. And it says in verse 23, For not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Amen. Amen. Let's just turn to one more place or to keep you standing, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter three and verse twelve. So seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. It says that not as Moses which put a veil over his face, and the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. For even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. May the Lord's blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Amen. Welcome to all the visitors that are here. God bless you. A few of them that are still here. Appreciate you coming. Amen. I know some of you came for a wedding and you stayed for a wedding. Amen. You came to see a natural wedding and you came to see Jesus. Amen. And we sure enjoyed the wedding on Friday. God bless you. Brother Tito, Sister Edith, Brother Ray, Sister Tabitha. I know I'd say God bless you to the couple, but I'm not going to assume they're streaming in this morning. They're on their honeymoon and just enjoying themselves and God bless them. Amen. I think it's wonderful. Amen. As we, as we read these scriptures this morning, I want to speak, and I know it's a long title, but as the love of the Father expressed in realization of liberty. 
And it's, it's quite a long title, but I, I, I trust it'll just be, I, I had a number of titles and I just said in the back office, said, Lord, what do I actually call it? So I took them all and just put them together. So here we are. And uh, love of the Father expressed in realization of liberty. But as we read these scriptures in Romans chapter 8, it's very familiar to us. And we know how we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12 to 18. And we could go back in the Old Testament and we could talk about Moses, how Moses, how he came down from from the mountain, how he was up in the glory of God and how he was there. And, and, and if you go and read it in the book of Exodus, it's, it, it's an account of when God called Moses up onto the mountain. He didn't call him to go up there and just wait for him. When Moses went up, the cloud was already over the mountain. He was already there. He was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And it wasn't 39 days and 39 nights of waiting and one day of fellowship. God was there waiting for him. And he began to fellowship with Moses. And he began to tell him things and begin to speak with him. And there began to be a refreshing fellowship that God wasn't uh, taxed or God wasn't strained by having to constantly lift Moses up. But it was a, a, re, a, a reverberation that it was God and Moses and there was God speaking back and forth as they begin to fellowship one with another and it became so much God and Moses that when he came down from off the mountain his face shone with the glory of God and it wasn't that Moses then was the, the as, we, as we know and we've heard so much about the badger skin lately and it wasn't so much that it was the badger skin was glowing but there was something in that there was God in there that was that, that was the word of God that began to shine forth from Moses and it was so much God that it began to radiate from him and they had to put a literal veil over his face and that was just the type of an anti-type that was just something that God was looking to, saying, I desire a fellowship. I desire something with an individual that I could come into them, and it would be so much me and them that they wouldn't no longer, people wouldn't come down and see no more just the individual, but they would see there's something in them that has changed them and caused them to be different than what they once were, caused them to be uh, more, a greater portion of God than they once were. And, and as, 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 as Moses came down and they begin to put the veil over his face and as Paul would begin to tape it, take it spiritually and begin to talk about it and say that veil has never been taken away in their eyes. The Jews would still read the Torah and they would still read the Old Testament and they would look at it and they would read it in a way through veiled eyes because we know that Brother Branham would take it and realize that they were blinded for our sakes. They were blinded so we could receive. That's why all those different martyrs and the different ones uh, that have lost their lives, Jews, and, 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 the, and the ones that lost it in the Second World War, and all these different ones that have died, they'll receive. Why? Because they'll receive robes given to them because they were blinded. Brother Brown says they would have received it had God not blinded their eyes because it was for them. But God blinded their eyes because he knew there had to come a Gentile bride. And he had to call it for our sakes that there would be. But he even says in the message, recognizing your day in its message, he begins to talk about it and say that he will also blind the Gentiles so that the bride can be taken away. 
Amen. And as we're looking, and Brother Ram would say, you have to come to a realization that we're living in the end time. We're living in a time when the Gentiles are becoming blinded again. And they're not realizing, they're not recognizing the liberty that lays right before them. The one that sits right in their midst and the God that's there to answer them, to give them peace and to give them all that they have need of in such a day as today. They can't receive it because they've been blinded. Oh my, and there's a veil that's come back over it, and that veil is you. Because the Word of God wasn't always just meant to be that it would go forth and it would be revealed, but that He would also, and I'm jumping way ahead, but that He would have the preeminence in a people. That he would begin to have a preeminence in the bride of Christ, in a body. And it would even go further than that in a third fold, that he would have fellowship. Like he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That he would be able to come down and commune with them, with you. And we, and we, we want to say, and I want to just say, a pardon is not a pardon unless it's received as a pardon. We know the story Brother Bannon would use as he began to express that, how the man, he was a deserter and he was put in jail and the, the, the mother and he just went and Abraham Lincoln, he just wrote on a piece of paper and signed it and the boy wouldn't receive it. He didn't realize that what was right in front of him was the liberty he was desiring. But he didn't realize that that's what it was. And he, he turned around and said, get away from me. And we know there was a court proceeding that had to go forth. And they began to recognize a pardon is not a pardon unless it's realized, unless it's received as a pardon. And that's exactly what the Word of God is. It's liberty to the children of God. But unless it's received, unless there's a set there, unless there's a deep to respond, unless there's something within you, a seed of God, that's there to be illuminated by that pardon that's gone forth, it's not a pardon. To many that read the Bible, they read it and it's a conviction. It's bondage. It's walls. It's fables. It's all kinds of things that they look at. They say, how could a person possibly live that? But, but to the children of God, it's liberty. And the realization of liberty is often, it's a slow process. I don't want to say the initial burst or release is often superficial when someone realizes that they're, because I'll say it this way, realization of liberty is different than recognition of liberty. When someone recognizes they've been set free, it's, it's a feeling of euphoria. This is incredible. I'm free. I'm no longer a convict. I'm out. I'm, I, I, I'm able to go do what I want to go do. I'm free from the chains that once bound me. That's a recognition. And a recognition is an acknowledgement of understanding. It's an acknowledgement of realizing there was a, there was a, Brother Brown would talk about Johnny Crow. A Johnny Crow, he was tied to that post. He'd just go round and round and, and, and all of these things. And then finally he was set free, but he just wouldn't leave that post because he never even came to the recognition. He never even came to an acknowledgement of understanding that I'm no longer tied to that post. But when he come to that recognition that I can fly again, that's a wonderful thing. But now what do you do? Now it has to come beyond just a recognition, just an acknowledgement that I'm free and go to a realization. Because a realization is beyond that. To realize something means to impress upon the mind as reality. Or ultimately to bring it into being. Or a realization then is the action of making real the realized reality. 
Because when someone's a prisoner, you have a lot of dreams, a lot of thoughts, what could be. The, 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 the things that I could do if I was just free. The, the thoughts of where I could be, and, and if, if someone was ever convicted, if you ever listened to someone that had been convicted and they went into prison, maybe they were a family man, they have dreams and thoughts, I just want to be with my family again. I want to get out of here and just be with my family. I want to just be with them. And I, if I could just be with them, I want to see my children grow up. I want to see my wife again. I want to do all these things. They have a, a, a dream of that, but then when they come to a realization that they can go free again, then they go right back to their family again. Why? Because they realize all those dreams can come true. All those swan things that were once just promises now become a reality. And, 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 you know, sometimes it might even be preached over the pulpit and there's, there's promises and precious promises that are preached to you and you recognize in the word that you might come and you do come to a recognition of. And you come to a recognition of a greater work in Christ than you, of Christ in you. And we know even as we're coming to this weekend and we're looking to these services, quite often, you know, things are preached and things are done that hey, we, we work ourselves up. To a recognition that yes, God is great and he could do all these wonderful things. And there's wonderful presence of God there. And I wonder how many times it stops at a recognition of what could be. And it stops at a recognition that I see in the promises that I'm really free. But how often does it go beyond that to becoming a reality in our lives where now it becomes lived out, the things that are preached, and it doesn't become a disappointment weeks later where we go, why didn't we continue on? We know that faith comes by hearing, but faith without works is dead. Faith is a super sense, but without releasing that faith, it's not very super. It becomes useless. It's like muscles, a man that builds himself up and builds himself up. He also, he's got all these great big muscles, but if he just stops, it all just begins to droop and becomes useless and ugly. And that's the way it becomes for a Christian. He gets built up, but he gets built up, but you never use it. You never take a step. You never step out and say, but I'm going to live it. I've claimed these things. I've looked for these things. I've heard the word. I stood in the presence of God. He affirmed it to me that he's true and he's real. But I never could. I left the service and I went out and I went right back into the same things because I couldn't take a step of faith. It takes time to come to full realization of one's liberty. Especially when it seems like it was a never-ending prison. Like a prisoner of war. If you read stories of some of the Jews that were in concentration camps, and in some of the soldiers that were prisoners of wars in, in, in the Second World War, and especially, and then you go into the Vietnam War and how they were treated by the Viet Cong and things like that, they thought it would never end. All hope becomes so lost that you begin to think, there's no way I'm coming out of this alive. There's no way. I'm an enemy to these people. They'd rather kill me than let me go free. 
And because you don't know, you don't hear the news, you don't know what's going on, the front line could be just a mile that way, but you don't know it. Because you don't hear what's happening, you don't know. They've got you just locked in a cage. They've got you locked in this room and you're, you're all separated from everything and it feels like there's just no end to it. And it feels that way often in the minds of an individual as you come to God and you can sit right in the church of the living God and the word of God be preached and you not recognize it. Because you're set there and God and Satan has got you so locked down by your own complexes, your own fears, your own embarrassments that you don't realize that if I just took a step out, if I just walked out of my own little prison and begin to look to God and say, Lord, you are real. And these promises are not just for somebody else. Don't let it fall on deaf ears. But let's take a step back and say, Lord, you're doing something. When a prisoner of war is finally liberated, oftentimes it's, 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 it's a feeling almost of disbelief. When the guards are all gone and the, 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 the allies begin walking into the, the, the camp, the prisoner of war camp, and they begin to come out of their houses almost like, am I dreaming? Is this really real? Does this really happen? And quite often when someone is set free from something, an individual, especially if they've battled with it for years and years and years, it's a slow realization that you begin to realize. And, and, and sometimes, you know, we get so bound up because the devil will put you in your mind and say, you have to have that moment. If you don't have that moment, you're not free. That's not true. That moment might have happened and you just didn't realize it. You might have recognized in that moment there's a promise of God and you didn't realize what God was doing in the moment because you didn't come to a full realization that it was God there setting you free. But as time began to go on, you begin to realize that thing doesn't bother me anymore. Those things I once did, those websites, those, those thoughts, those words, those, all of the places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. Why don't I go there anymore? And it can almost become a moment of disbelief and begin to look at it and go, uh, what happened? You are set free. But it becomes a slow realization. Uh, I think of John chapter 4, the woman at the well. It had been 400 years without a prophet. It had been so long that if you went there to John chapter 4, you could begin to look at the, the story. Maybe I'll just turn there. You don't have to turn with me. I'll just kind of summarize it. But we know as Jesus came to them because we know it so well. And he come to the woman of Samaria and he drew water. And Jesus saith unto her, give me a drink. And she immediately grabbed her pitcher, put it down and gave it to him and went, teach me. No, not at all. She went, who are you? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. Who do you think you are telling me to give you a drink? And she almost going to get indignant in a moment of unbelief in herself to say, listen, she didn't recognize. Right in front of her was the very liberty that she had been seeking because she'd lived her entire life going through thing to thing to thing to thing from man to man to man to man, seeking some sort of satisfaction, some sort of liberty, some sort of release. I don't believe for a moment a woman does that and goes from marriage to marriage to marriage just because. It's because she's searching for something to satisfy the thirst within her. And as she's looking and as she's looking and she's gone through this childhood, she's been raised up and it's been a hard life. But finally she's sitting right in front of the one. 
And Jesus said, who do you think you are? How often we come like that as Christians and someone come up and say something just right in your face and you almost get... You know something, Brother Andrew. Somebody told you what I'm going through. (laughs) Especially when special speakers come, you know, sometimes we get the feeling like, did the local ministry sit down and brief them? All the troubles in the church? They're just hitting it over the head over and over, and this brother and that brother, and everything's happening. Man, they must have had a meeting beforehand and told me everything that I'm going through. Truth be told, oftentimes we don't even know. But God knows. He knows everything that we're going through, and he's got somebody that comes by your way, and he begins to speak to you. And oftentimes we sit there like the woman at the well, but don't stop there. Because as he began to speak to her, he immediately Jesus said in these words, If you knewest, if you would recognize the gift of God to who it is that saith to thee, give me a drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Oh my, hindsight is 2020. We look back and go, of course, praise God. Just take the drink. But her response is very well documented. And the woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. From whence when thou hast thou the, from whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank them himself and his children and his cattle? It's not an instant realization. It's slow. He just told her, I'm the one. I got living water. You come and drink from me. And she looks right at him and says, how in the world are you getting this water? I ain't talking about that water. I'm not interested in drawing from that water. I'm not interested in going down the well. And as they begin to speak, and she begins to say, Whosoever drinketh of the waters that I, shall, that I give shall never thirst again. For whosoever drinketh of the water, and the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now she becomes indignant. She becomes to a place, this isn't saying, okay, yeah, give me the water. No, this is saying, oh yeah, I'm never going to thirst again. Perfect. I don't have to come down here and draw water again. Perfect. I, I'm, I could be lazy. I could just stay at home. I don't have to ever draw water again. It'll just say, life will be easy. That's, that's her attitude at this moment. At some point, you know, I was listening to the message, identification. Brother Branham gets down, and, and every time he preaches the message, identification, he begins to come down and say, you need to identify yourself with some Bible character. Where you're at with your character, who you are. And at some point in this story, we all identify with this woman at some point in time. In this conversation. Whether you're right there and you're saying, Lord, I need you so bad. I got so much in my life that I I, I can't overcome and I'm searching for something to satisfy the thirst of this inward man and I can't find it. Or whether you've come to the next step where you're saying, "Who, who are you, Lord? And you're seeking him out. Are you greater than my father Jacob? Are you greater than this? Are you greater than that? And he begins to make himself known to you and you come to the next place. You're going to say, really? You mean to tell me I can ask whatever I will and you'll give it to me? Praise God, give me a million bucks. We all go through these stages. These thoughts come to our minds if we're honest with ourselves. Some of us are so far beyond this that we we can't remember back to that point. 
where we had those moments and we look at young people that are, that are going through these, these thoughts in their minds. We're like, man, how can you possibly think that? But we were there. We were all there where you're at right now and you're going through these thoughts in your mind. You're thinking, well, what? ask anything and ask anything. Lord. But you begin to recognize it has to run through the scripture. There's more to it. The word of God is Christ. And it's, it's more than just ask and you shall receive. It becomes the ask and have not because you ask amiss. Say, oh, what, what do I need to ask then? What am I asking for? It's to the will of the Father. What's the will of the Father? It's his will to do his will in my life. That I would be born again. Lord, what am I asking for? And your desires begin to change. Brother Branham says, don't pray to change God's mind. Pray to change our mind. And as the conversation goes on and she begins to come and he says, I love it because he almost, he just changes the subject. Go call your husband. And she's like, hold on a second. I, I, th- I thought we were talking about water here. I-, I wanted this water. I wanted an easy life. The Christian walk ain't an easy life. In case you haven't figured it out yet. It ain't easy. But it is real. He said, go call your husband. The woman said, I don't even have a husband. I have no husband. Jesus said, thou hast said well. Huh. I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And who whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that thou saidest thou truly. Oh, my. And then the woman began to speak to her. She thought he changed the subject. He didn't at all. He was still in the same subject, saying, in order to get the water into you, we've got to open the lid. You can't shut everything down and say, all right, God, no, it just pours right off. He could dump on you all day long, but if you never open your heart, it'll never come in. You've got to open the top a little bit. And you see, that's what he's doing, contacting her spirit, opening the top. Saying, you want the water? All right, let's open up. Let's see who you really are and who you really are. You've got all these husbands and you don't even have one now. It's the one you're living with. is a woman. Believe me. And oh my, then she begins to go down this, this path. She's, Our father's worshiped in this mountain. Now that he opened the top, the real her began to come out. The real question within herself began to come out. She began to realize, I've had something that I've been wondering about a lot longer than about water drawn from a well. And that's where do we worship? Because every time I walk up to this hill, I think about Jacob. And I think about our fathers that say we worship in this mountain. And I think about the Jews that they say you got to worship down here. And every time I'm walking up here, because you know she's a woman of ill frame, she's not a lot of people up there, she's kind of up there all alone drawing water by herself, and she's alone to her thoughts, and she begins to come lost in these things. God knows what you're thinking about in your quiet time. When you're all alone, and you're just to yourself, and your thoughts, and you're just driving around the Anthony Henday, and you miss your turn, and you just keep thinking on your thoughts, and you're going, Lord, why did I miss my turn? Because he knows. He's got somewhere for you to be. He begins to fellowship with you. Say, yeah, I know. Where, where, where should we really worship? He says, the hour cometh when you won't worship here and you won't worship there. But he who worships God, God is a spirit. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. And as he begins to go down, she begins to become, so the woman saith, I know that the Messiah is come in which he is called the Christ. When he is come, he'll tell us these things. Then Jesus saith, saith unto her the exact same thing he said in verse 10. I'm he. I'm the one. I am he that speaketh to thee. 
And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with this woman, yet no man said, what seekest thou or what talkest thou? And the woman left her water pot. Now she came to realization. Something happened. I'm free. And she ran into the city and she began to say, come tell a man who's told me everything. All he told her was about her, her marital situation. He didn't take her and tell her everything she'd ever done in her life, but she knew this man was more than able. She came to a realization of what God is really able to do, and we need to come to this realization to recognize that even though he's come and dealt with you in one little area of your life, that's because he's showing you, because if I can deal with you in that spot, I can deal with everything if you'll just open your heart and let me come in. Hallelujah. I know it's been a long weekend, but let's not fall asleep this morning. There's another part over in John chapter 5, and I'll just summarize this real quickly for the sake of time because I, I, I need to move on. But John chapter 5 is as Jesus would come to the man at the pool of, of uh, Bethesda. In verse 6, I believe it is, yeah, where he comes to the pool and there's the porches and he comes there and he comes to a man of affirmity of 30 and 8 years. This once again, as has been preached many times, it wasn't urgent. Guy had been there 38 years, he'd been there a long time, but God showed him, I do nothing but what the Father showeth me, that's what I do. And so as he, as he went out to go and he went to this man and he said, will thou be made whole? And verse 7 says, and the impotent man answered him and said, sir, I have no man when the water's troubled to put me into the pool. He just asked him if you'd be made whole. It's a yes or no question. Yes, I'd like to be made whole. But this is how our minds operate. When we come and it's a simple, do you believe? Well, you know, yeah, but I, you know, I got this problem and I got that problem. And last time I tried this happened and I did this. And I, we, we got all kinds of excuses that immediately come to our mind. Just like this man had Jesus just simply asked him a yes or no question. Will you be made whole? And immediately he began to talk about, I got no one to let me in the pool. And when someone else comes, they get in before me and I can't get down there. Therefore, there's no way for me to be made whole. When the one who was troubling the waters was standing right in front of him. Hallelujah. And he's right there. And finally he says, yes, I'd like to be made whole. He says, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man took his bed and was made whole. And he went away rejoicing. He had a realization, an understanding, an acknowledgement what God had done for him. But when Jesus finally came back to him, as we, as we jump right down to it uh, in verse uh, 14, he says, afterward Jesus, finding him in the temple, said unto him, behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more lest the worst thing come upon thee. He says, listen, you've come to a recognition that you're made whole, but come to a realization of what I've done for you, that it's not about your physical wellness and well-being, it's about the fact that I've come to give you an opportunity to live a holy life. Amen. Hallelujah. And there's only one life. The eternal spirit, one eternal life, and that's God. God alone is the eternal. And we, being his children, we are a part of him. We're a part of him. We're the attributes of his thinking. Think about this for a moment. We're the attributes of God's thinking. If you were ever in the mind of God, you always are in the mind of God. 
And we become a thought is expressed and it becomes a word. And each individual in here that possesses this eternal life was before the foundation of the world in God's thinking. That's the only way it could be because you're an attribute. Hallelujah. That's an expression of a thought has become a word. And a word has taken life. And it's eternal. That's the reason we have eternal life. Why? Because the word of God has taken life. I used to always think when I was growing up, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, but when we talk about the predestinated seed, because we call it a seed, and we, we always, I, I always want to look at it and go, well, there's just this little seed, like a little kernel of something down in my soul, and it's just sitting there. But that's not what it is. It's God himself. That predestinated seed is God took the attribute of himself and put it right down in you when you were born in unredeemed, in sinful flesh, born in sin, shaped in iniquity, put it right down in there so that when life could come to that, there could be something there to respond. Hallelujah. It's not just a little something that takes life when water comes to it or when something else. But when God comes to God, when omnipotence comes to omnipotence, then the supernatural begins to take place. And it has to come that way because when life meets something that is there to bear life, it will manifest what were the characteristics that were always in it. It says this, in the same principle... That the great son of God, the redeemer, he, we become sons and daughters of God through the same spirit by the same foreknowledge of God. So in other words, by God's foreknowledge, he knew what would happen in the garden of Eden. By God's foreknowledge, he knew that he would need a lamb to be slain. Therefore, he slew the lamb when? Before the foundation of the world. And by that same foreknowledge, why would he slay it before the foundation of the world? Because he had thoughts in his mind, attributes to be expressed that he knew could not be expressed unless there was a blood sacrifice to wipe out the blood sin. Oh my. Every time I read Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, I, I look at it and I honestly try my best to see an apple. Every time I read the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, the end of Luke, the end of John, I try my best to figure out why someone had to die because somebody else ate an apple. It don't make any sense. And I'll say it this way. It doesn't make any sense why someone had to die because someone got prideful and was disobedient. Jesus was perfect. He was never disobedient. He always did that which the Father did for him. So if the problem wasn't blood, why did he have to shed his blood? Because if the, just the perfection was required because of disobedience in the Garden of Eden, he wouldn't have had to die because perfection would have erased it. He would have shown by his example and said, listen, this is how you do it. This is how you live. But he came and he showed this is how you live. And the only way you can do it is by me dying and shedding my blood because the problem was blood. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. He says in the message, Jehovah Jireh, he says, it is only the love of our Father that loves us so much that he sends his word. He sends his ministers to preach the word. Yeah. 
Oh, praise God. That makes me feel good. And I'm here because God's love could be expressed to you. It also makes me feel incredibly humble. Say, Lord, help me to surrender myself to your will, not to get any of me mixed up in it because it's your love, nothing to do with me. And if I say anything to myself, forgive me. I don't mean to do that. But it says, then he sends the gifts unto the church with his arms spread out, trying to get you to believe it. He wants to heal you tonight a thousand times more than you want to be healed. <laughs> Hallelujah. He wants to heal you tonight a thousand times more than you want to be healed. And I want to tell you, I ain't never seen anyone that's sick come in and say, I don't really want to be healed. Everyone that's sick and in pain, they're like, somebody take it away. Somebody help me. Somebody do this. Even those that would sympathize and love the sympathy they get, they still don't want to suffer. They still will go take pills to take away the pain. Why? Because they want to be healed. Because there's a thousand times more than you want it. I want to give it to you. But he goes on to say, but you're afraid. You go by how you feel. Because you've regarded that. You've lived by your feelings. Your whole life has been wrapped up in that. But you must get away from that. And act upon God's word, not how you feel, not what you see, what God said. And act upon that. Make a confession. To confess means to say the same thing. He adds at the right hand of the Father with his own blood to make intercession upon your confession. See, he can't do anything for you until first you accept it and begin to confess it. And then he can go act on it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh my, because he is the perfect realization. He's the one that brings into action what you have, have got a revelation of. What you begin to confess, what you begin to confess and say, Lord, I believe your word. By his stripes I'm healed. How many times have we heard that? How many times have we heard that he was bruised for our iniquity? Yet still, we let the devil beat us up. How many times have we heard the chastisement of our peace is upon him, and yet still we go to bed anxious? We go to bed all depressed, all wondering all these things when our peace is upon him. How many times have we heard these things if we just take it and say, Lord, I want to take your word. I want to confess it. I want to put it on my lips when I go to bed and pray. Sometimes we just pray wrong. We do. I'm sorry. I'm off my notes. I'm just preaching. But we do. We come that way to God. We say, Lord, remember this and that and help me here. And bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Keep me tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Instead of coming and saying, Lord, your word says. He loves to be reminded of his word. These promises are eternal. My words are not. These words are. Heavens and earth will pass away, but this word will never pass away. There is something in here if we can remind God of his promises, of his word, and we begin to spew it back to him and say, I confess this over my own circumstances, over how I feel, over just saying, Lord, I'm in pain. Take the pain away. Lord, you bore all my pain. 
Oh, hallelujah. You took all my sicknesses and all of my diseases. I'm not taking it based upon my circumstances. I don't care if I'm 93 or 30 or 19. He took it. He's more than able. The character of God. Body of Christ. The man would say in the message of identification, he said no woman could ever produce that body. His own character. He says, excuse me. He says, when I think of it, his character, the character of God, projected the lovely person of Jesus Christ. No woman could bring it. Moses' mother, she, Joshua Bed, she was a great woman. So was Rebecca and many other women. But none of them could produce this type of character because it was coming through sex by a fallen people. But God projected his own body, his dwelling place. That's the reason he was the son of God because nothing else could project it but his own divine character projected this tabernacle to express himself. The love of the Father expressed in the realization of liberty. That Jesus was the expression of God. He was the expression of God. And as he began to express, as it began to unfold, what did he begin to do? So many scriptures begin to be fulfilled. Prophecies, types, all of these things begin to become fulfilled in the life of Christ. Right down to the last few hours of his life, Hundreds of prophecies begin to be fulfilled. Psalms, when, he, when David would begin to cry out under the Spirit, he began to speak and he didn't understand because it wasn't just uh, a happen chance. It was God. It was an expression of who God always was. He began to come down into a man and he began to express himself out. And it was his own character through suffering. He was perfected by the things that he suffered. And as he began to suffer, as he began to go through hardship, it wasn't just the few hours in the, at the end of his life that he began to suffer. It was his whole life. He was despised and rejected of man from the very moment he was born. All of his life, he grew up with a childhood. People whispering behind his back. Some maybe thought, well, I'm going to just tell him straight and tell him that he's a bastard-born son. That he ain't got no business being who he is. Oh, yeah. People get that way in themselves. They think, well, I'm going to tell them straight. Nobody else will tell them. I'll tell them. My, and then he had to live with this his whole life, constantly rejected, constantly told, constantly being, but what wasn't his character was being honed. He was being home because it was an expression of God, that God from the beginning of time was rejected. That he even told Cain, if you'll do what your brother did, I'll accept you. And Cain said, no, thank you. Oh, my. Oh, my. He's been rejected all down through time. Even when he said, I'll go before you. I'll drive them out of the land for you. And the Israelites went in. They began to reject him. When he said, ah, wherever your footsteps are, that's your possession. And they went across there and they said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And they rejected the promises of God again 
and again. And as this character began to become expressed in Christ, no matter how much he was rejected, no matter how many people came so close, no matter how much Nicodemus came and said, we know that you're a master, you're a teacher, you've got to be sent from God, but I can't receive it. That's rejection at the highest form. I just got told by a man recently, it just ripped the heart out of me. If he hears this, God bless you. But it just ripped the heart out of me where he said, I invited him to come to the meetings this next weekend. He looked at me and he said, I would come, but I don't want to offend anyone on my board. So, oh God, that's exactly what Brother Brown talked about. They won't hear it for a meal ticket. And I'd come, but then I'd have to explain it to my board. Some might understand, but some won't. Oh, Lord. Where are we living? The character of Christ. Has it become the word expressed? He says, therefore, when we come, when we come to meet him, we will not have to stand. We could not stand in the presence of God. There's no way for us to do it. But when we stand in him. He's already recognized the sacrifice. Think about it. Christ, when he was sacrificed, God already recognized that sacrifice. It pleased him. He recognized that he accepted that sacrifice. And he accepted, why? How do we know? Because he raised up and went on the right hand of God. And the Holy Spirit came back again. The comforter came exactly as he said it would. Because it was accepted of the Father. And as it was accepted of the Father, he says, because that sacrifice was accepted, he said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. He recognized that there was no blemishes on him, and yet he suffered temptation like any other man. Yet he was scorned. He was made fun of. He was persecuted from the very hour he was born until the hour he died, and yet he returned good for evil. What an awesome God. And he says, you cannot, no way, ever produce character like that. The Bible says, I counsel of you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. He says, I want you to have character. That Christ-like character. And then he comes and he says, you cannot produce it. A sheep does not manufacture wool. You cannot manufacture the character of God. He says, but only accepting that character in you. A church cannot do it. A creed cannot do it. A denomination cannot do it. An education cannot do it. It must be a birth. It's got to be a dying out and let God in. By the grace of Christ, mold this type of character in you that you become him. And your life is the same as his. Your life in his is the same. Then you are the sons and the daughters of God. Hallelujah. We cannot just produce the character of God. We cannot just become him by reading and by intellectual understanding. We cannot just become him by a realization or by a recognition, sorry, a recognition of what he did. 
But we have to come to a realization. We have to act out. There has to be a reality lived through the believer. Faith has to have works. He says in God's provided way, he says, God has made a way for us. God loves his children. He loves his people. He wants to help them. He wants to help you more than you want help. If you can just get that in your heart, that God is more willing to help you than you are to help yourself. Oh, praise be to God. He's more willing to help you than you are to help yourself. But he says, but he has a way. And that's the only way that he'll work, th- work is through his way. You must come to his terms, not to your terms. His terms. He wanted it a certain way and he gives it to you his way. Amen. Oh, praise be to God. How often we miss that. We don't get it through our heads. We don't get it through our hearts to realize, God, you want to help me more than I even want to help myself. But I always want it my way. We pray for something and God gives it to us and we go, not that way. We do it all the time. Sometimes without even realizing it. Someone else points it out and says, yeah, God answered that prayer. And we're like, come on. I didn't want it that way. That's our humanity. And he knows our humanity. He remembers those things. But he's a gracious God and he returns good for evil. He does these things for us, but he wants to recognize, God, you're willing to do something this weekend, but you're going to do it your way. Recognize that, church. God is coming down this coming weekend as he's here this morning to meet you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to have fellowship with you. But you got to come to his terms and say, Lord, I'm going to lay aside everything that I got. Whatever terms you want me to meet, I'm willing to meet. If you need me to come to an altar, I'll come to an altar. If you need me to come to a baptismal tank, I'll come to a baptismal tank. If you need me to just lay aside all my own thinking. If you need me to put aside all preconceived ideas of what's going to happen, and I need a prayer line, and I need this to happen, but recognize, God, you have a way. And you're going to come and meet me that way. I said, we're not going to a ball game this weekend. We're not going to a hockey game. It's not a hua. It's not a work up, a build up, a jump up. It's not all these things. The world's got all this. I'm not the hype man. I'm not here this morning trying to hype you up for the special meetings. I'm here to encourage you to calm down. I'm here to encourage you. Don't get worked up and say, well, if it's not this, it wasn't God. If it's not that, then it wasn't God. I'm here to encourage you. Don't be disappointed because God didn't come by your thinking. Don't walk away because you didn't recognize what he's doing. You didn't come to a realization. But realize and say, Lord, you're coming. Help me to catch it. Help me to step into the channel.
Jesus was the expression of God, the character of God, and it was created. God created in the womb of Mary. God flowed through him just like the wind through a building. God flowed through him like water flows down a stream. Him and the Word being one. No other character could do that. For he was the only one that was born without carnal. All the rest of them, all the rest of the prophets of old, were born with sexual desire by carnal. He was born without sex desire. He was virgin born. God identifying himself. He took a strain. He was as strain as God. He took himself and he stretched his tent down. And he became human. He made himself a tent to live in. And that body is known as Jesus. God lived in Christ. See, he became human in order to save us. He took upon him our form that he might mold in us his character. What is he doing? He's proving it's possible. And I'm going to make a way for it to happen. He says, and his character was that he did everything that pleased God. That is the character of God. That he did everything that pleased God and he stayed with the word. Amen. That's what he wanted for us. That's what he wanted us for. That we'd stay with God's word and find our place and then know where we are at. Stay with the word and think of it. We are invited. What an invitation. We went out yesterday all around the neighborhood with some of the young people. We had a wonderful time inviting about five to six hundred invitations to people in this neighborhood to come to the meetings. But I want to give you an invitation. You have been invited to shape your own character to his. Now we're going to find out how we've done it. He says, shape our character into his by his own spirit. Then we, by him, are sons of God. Just what I've expressed. He says, by having his mind in us. To shape our character to his mind. Let the mind of Christ be in you. It's an invitation. If that mind be in you. Oh, he says, you see. God, the Word molds God's character to us. Why do I need to be in church? Why do I need to feed on the Word? Why is it not good enough to just have psychology, YouTube preachers? Why do I have to go back to the source? Why do I have to go back to read? Why do I got to go back right to the message and listen to it myself? Why do I got to sit under a five-fold ministry? Because it's the word that molds God's character. And anything that's tried to be mixed with that character, listen to this, it breaks the mold. When something is broken, it has to be repaired. It breaks the mold. It doesn't just deform it a little bit. It's okay. It could just have this little offshoot over here. No, it breaks it. This is not a malleable mold. 
God doesn't form to our wants and, and needs and desires and beings. He's a rigid God. That he looks and he brings grace to bring you back into that mold. Say, well then Brother Andrew, are we all going to be robots? No, it's the mold of his character. That we do what was pleasing to the Father. We do what is pleasing to God. Because that was the character of Christ. To be pleasing to God. To stay right with the word of God. In order to stay right with this and not go off of him. Our feelings will lead us off this constantly. Well, we'll try and look at it and say, but I had an experience. If it doesn't line up with this, it wasn't God. Hallelujah. The fact that Balaam prophesied did not justify his doings. The fact that he built seven altars, he sacrificed the right sacrifice, he came the right approach, and he even prophesied, and he could speak no evil, only God could put in him because he was a prophet, because it was his gift. Gifts and callings are without repentance, and oftentimes we take it and we look at it, I just want, I just want to lay it out real plain this morning, we take it and we look at an experience, especially coming up to a weekend like this weekend, and we'll take it and justify where we're at. That's called a recognition of what God did without coming to a realization that he's got a life that he wants you to live. That he wants to live in you and through you and he can't do it by you being justified in your own sin. God's word, we know, calls for a total, a complete separation from unbelief, which is sin. Because anything that's tried to mix with that character breaks the mold. You can't mix creed with the word. You can't mix the world with the word. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. Oh my, you could take oil and water. You can turn it up and down to anything you want to. It won't mix. You can press it. You can try. You can come to church on Thursday and go home and watch YouTube. And come to church on Friday go home and watch your favorite show. Come to young people's and just go out, do everything you want, and come back to. You could try all weekend long. Just trying to make it mix. You're going to rob yourself. It says, it, if, if you are being molded into the form of God, it's by letting the mind that was in Christ be in you. That's the control tower, that's the direction. Oh, my. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Rum says in the message, recognizing your day in its message, he says, Moses couldn't understand how a man like him would be sent down there to Egypt. But when he recognized by the vindicated word what it was, then he didn't fear the king's commandments. 
He didn't go back to tending sheep after that. He went and did what the Lord told him to do. If you'd only recognize, if we'd only recognize today, Moses recognized it was when, it, when, it, when he seen the word vindicated, seen the vindication made prove, then he was ready for the exodus for the people. Listen, when he came to the recognition, he was ready for the realization. When he came to the recognition, he was ready for it to be lived out. He was ready for it to happen. Before he recognized what God was doing, he couldn't go anywhere. But he also didn't leave it there and say, praise God, I had a burning bush. I got five minutes in the presence of God. Praise be to God. Wonderful. I'm going to go back to, to uh, Zipporah. And I'm going to go back to my children, go back to my sheep, and go back to my father-in-law. And we'll just rejoice over this. We'll have a wonderful time. We'll just, no, he said, no, I'm moving on now. I have to go. I'm ready for the exodus now. I'm ready for this to take place. I'm ready to go down there. It didn't matter what anybody else said. God is trying to bring his people to a body change. He's trying to bring us to, from glory to glory until we can come right into glory, Brother Bannon says. So that way we can come right to where God is and we can realize realization. Hallelujah. That's in the church age book. But you look at these things and Brother Brad begins to put it this way in a certain way because it's the Father begins to express his own love to show you that there's freedom if you'll just walk in the truth. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, then you have fellowship. One with another. And if Moses finally could come to this recognition and it was even Job never recognized that it was God. As long as the devil can make you believe something that the little trial you go through, it's God punishing you. Oh, the devil loves to make you see that. He loves it. Oh, this is God. He's just strong-arming you. He's just taking you straight. He's just doing this. He's punishing you because you did that. You're in this now. No. But he says if he could recognize it was God trying to show him something. Hallelujah. Why do I go through the things I go through? God wants to get something to you. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8 says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble. He says, listen, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, according to that gospel wherein I suffer trouble. He says, as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Listen, I suffer a lot of things here, but God is not bound. Don't let God be suffering because of me. And he says this, is therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying that if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. He says, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Hallelujah. It's not if we just go out and say, I'm a Christian, then I'll reign with him. If we suffer, there's a suffering that goes along with it. There's something that goes with a Christian walk, a real believer, that Satan wants to try and look at you and say, he's punishing you, he's punishing you, he's punishing you. And you know what? The Catholics believe him every single time. Yeah, I got to do penance. Yep, I got to do rosary. Yep, I got to do this. I got to do Hail Marys. I got to do this and I got to do that. No, God's not punishing. 
God's trying to get to you to a greater walk with him because he's invited you to mold your character into his character, but character is a victory. And a victory is immediately indicative of a battle. It's immediately indicative that there was a suffering. There was something that went on in order to bring a victory. But it's not the suffering. It is the victory. Oh, I have to get to this. You forgive me if I... Give me a few more minutes. I got a few saying amen, so we'll go with it. I'll just quote this to you for Revelation 3, verse 14. Brother Branham takes the church age book and he begins to talk about Laodicean church age. Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. We heard that on Wednesday. He's the God of the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says, and he begins to go into, he says, these things saith the true. He that is true, he says, true is a very wonderful word. It does not mean that it's just in a sense of opposite of false. It expresses the perfect realization of an idea as contrasted with the partial realization. And he goes into some examples like John 6, 32, where he says, Moses gave you not the bread from that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And he begins to talk about the manna that came down, the manna fell. That was a type. That it fell from heaven, it was angel's food, but it contaminated. You didn't, didn't stay overnight. If you tried to keep more for the next day, it got wiggle tails in it. It got worms in it. it got, you couldn't eat it anymore. It was garbage. But for the day, it was good. But he says, when he come down, he says, I am the bread of life. And he began to express himself as the anti-type to the type. And it wasn't just like the woman at the well that said, oh, you mean an easy life? I won't hunger again. I won't thirst again. This is wonderful. If you follow down John chapter 4, the disciples came and said, we brought you some food. And he said, I'm not hungry. I got food that you know not of. My food is to do the Father's business because that's the bread of life. Bread is life. He says this. He says, there's no need for a partial salvation. Here is the whole of it. Here is Christ. Just like Jesus isn't a part of God, he is God. Bread is life. But once you have a realization of life, you don't want to go back to the dull death anymore. Hallelujah. You know, I've been overseas. I've been into Africa. I've been into Guatemala. Something about it. When you go to Africa, when you go to Uganda, and you take a banana there, and you eat a banana there, and you come back here, and you take a yellow curve thing that is a giant piece of chalk, and you try and eat it. So now is it really chalk? No, but it tastes like that. After you've had a real banana that is fresh, after you've had a pineapple that just came out of the ground, after you've sat there and you've had real mango, from Guatemala, and you've really sat down, you've had papaya, and you've had all these fruits that was right off the tree, and you come back to here, and you're like, eh. And someone's like, I bought you some fresh strawberries, and you're like, that ain't fresh. Fresh was when I walked out the back door, Brother Robert Cabassi's, and there was a mango, and I picked it off, and began to peel it, and just eat it like an apple. That's fresh. That's the word of God. When he come and said, I got water that you know not of. I got bread that you know not of. He begins to come and say this way, when you begin to partake of this, you can't go back to that anymore. You come and partake of the real word of God and you actually really open the top. 
and you actually really let it pour into you, not just wash off you, but you really take it in and say, Lord, let it become me. And you begin to take that in. You walk back into any other church, any other denominational church. You walk back and you begin to pick up any other psychology and you pick those things up and you're like, eh. Trust me, I've tried it. I tried to read one of those seven steps to perfection or whatever those books are. And you look at it and you're like, he's wrong on the first one. I have such a trouble that you, somebody sends you a video and you got to see this and you begin watching it and you're like, no, but the word of God says you start correcting the guy on the screen. You can't help it. Why? Because you've received something that's real. You've received something that's good. It's actually got flavor. It's actually got a reality to it. It keeps you. It's sustaining. And you begin to partake of that and you don't want any of the false anymore. Oh, and it's so wonderful. It becomes a satisfaction. Even though the thirst then is satisfied by the real bread of life, by the real water, and the thirst becomes satisfied, the crave for life is never annulled because it becomes your realization. It becomes your reality. Hallelujah. Even though you're satisfied with the truth, it's not a one-time deal. It's not a, well, I came to church Sunday morning, so I'm good. I don't need to come back and hear Brother Max Sunday night. No, I need to come back because I need more. Because I didn't get enough. Oh my, I partake of it and I'm full and I feel wonderful, but I still want more. Hallelujah. If you don't know what that like, that's like in the natural. You just need to come to my house sometime. My wife can cook. Thank you. A brother that's been there said amen. If you've got a wife that can cook, man, or if you brother can cook... I even been out to Brother Brandon Whitmire. He's not here this morning. He had to work probably, but out to his place, he just cooked something up, and you're like, man, give me more. I'm stuffed full, but give me more. That's the way my wife is. That's why when I first got married six months later, I was 40 pounds heavier. Why? I'm stuffed, but give me more. You just can't help it. But praise the Lord, that's the way it is in the spiritual. I'm stuffed, Lord, but give me more. Isn't there dessert? Isn't there more? Aren't you going to say some more things to me? Isn't there a little cherry on top? Didn't I miss something? Isn't there some crumbs on the floor I can pick up? Isn't there something on the table? Isn't there more to it? The pot's not empty yet. I'll take a third helping. Hallelujah. It's to become Christ again. His character. Walking again in flesh. The threefold purpose of God becoming a complete realization of the bride in this time. It is now the time. It's in the message, in the Bible, the time is at hand. It's from the revelation of Jesus Christ in the the seven church age books. He says, the time is at hand. The time was not at hand previously. In the wisdom and economy of God, this mighty revelation for this last days was saved for this last days. In this age, that the revelation of God will come in its due time. It will not falter, neither will it be premature. Hallelujah. But it was to bring to pass the threefold purpose of God, which, you know, first he wanted to reveal himself to a people through a message. He made himself known in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. But then secondly, so that he could have the preeminence in his body of believers, that is his bride, that he might live in his people. And thirdly, so that he could restore the kingdom to its rightly position. 
that, that, that fell by sin through Adam and Eve so that they, when they walked in the cool of the garden and in the cool of the evening through the garden with his people, he talked with them, he fellowshiped with them. That's the third part. That's the third part of the plan of God, the purpose of God, is to bring you to a realization that God wants to walk again with you. Oh my, this is the unfolding. This is the realization. The bride of Christ is realizing right now that he's revealed himself to a people that he could have the preeminence so that he could come down and have fellowship as friend with friend and he could go away refreshed. Think about that for a moment. So that God could be refreshed by being in your presence. Because the character that's in you is his character. And it's no longer an omnipotent fellowshipping with, 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 with omnipotence, but rather it's God with God. It's omnipotence with omnipotence. Hallelujah. Just like Abraham, when Elohim came to Abraham, he went away refreshed. He didn't come and Abraham didn't instantly sit down and have all his questions fulfilled. He said, just rest a little while. Let me get the fatted calf. Let me get the bread. <laughs> when God comes in our presence, how often do we sit there and say, Lord, stay a little while. Let me get the bread of life. Let me minister to you, Jesus, for a little while. Let me tell you about your word. Let me remind you of your promises. Let me tell you what you've done for me. We're coming to this kind of a weekend not just so we can come to church again and God heal us and God deliver us and God do this for us and God do that for us. But I want you to think about this week. What can he, you do for him? Yes. What can you do for the Almighty? He wants to come down and have fellowship with his bride. He wants to come down and he's bringing in some brothers so that way you can have fellowship. He's made a way. It's time for us to come his way. Let's stand to our feet. Let's do all that we can. Let's do all that we can to make him feel welcome this weekend. If you see a visitor in need of fellowship this weekend, have them over for some fellowship. Invite them out. If you see someone needs a place to stay, have them over for a place to stay. Begin to let yourself be known and say, Lord, we're the hosts of this. You've, you've, you've ordained it that we could be a church where people could gather. If you see an unbeliever come in, go shake their hand. Invite them out for coffee. Talk to them about the service. Let them know that there's a truth and there's more to this. Be the light. Be the city that is set on a hill which cannot be hid. Hallelujah. 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 Why don't we just quiet ourselves for a minute as we sing that chorus. I love him. I love him. Because he first loved me. He expressed himself down to me. I believe he wants us to just express himself to him for a little bit. This week, just take it as we've, we've just, I don't want to say built up to it, but we've just set our minds to it, our spirits to it. Say, Lord, you come. Lay aside everything else. Let him move according to his will and his way. Ah. Love you. Oh, I love you.
Oh uh-huh. 